You're listening to Film School, the on-air online source for independent film, film that's changing the way we look at cinema and the world. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. Today we'll be speaking with Tom Moore, the director of The Secret of Kells, which received an Oscar nomination for Best Animated Feature Film. The Secret of Kells is a medieval tale following a young man who could be the savior of his people. All that's required is that he complete the Book of Kells, an ancient book of secret wisdom. You can listen to our talk with Tom Moore, as well as interviews with Noah Baumbach, Haskell Wexler, Harmony Kareen, Albert Mazels, John Sales, Philip Glass, Frederick Wiseman, and many, many more at filmschoolradio.com. The Secret of Kells was a surprise nominee yes. at the Academy Awards. It took everybody, completely shocked everybody. Yeah. And it's, it's a great, great animation. It, it is. It's, you, you have, uh, if you're a fan of animation, you've got to see it because it kind of... I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. One reason is is because it it's mainly hand-drawn. Yeah. Uh, and now, of course, you could say, well, so was Disney back in the day. But this is... It's like it's been informed by two things that Disney wasn't informed by. Number one... Just the computer-generated animations that have been going on for the last 20 years or so. Right. The other thing is just the fact that he's using Celtic imagery, which you don't see. Uh, I can't name any other film, animated film, that's relied on Celtic imagery to pull the thing together as, yeah. as, the, uh, as the visual theme of the film. Yeah. It's not an exaggeration to say that the, that the frames are filled. Yeah. There's frames, there are sequences and scenes in this where the, every square millimeter of the film of the, of that frame has some beautiful animation in it. Yeah. Just stunningly well-detailed yeah. animation. And you continue to defend him, Brendan. Uncle just wants to protect us from the outside. When the Northmen come to Kells, they will make no distinction between young and old. So... Prepare or meet your doom. <laughs> you just don't understand. But, Brendan, you've never been outside these walls. I don't have to go outside to know how dangerous it is. Where have you all been? We went to get these. For you. <laughs> you should have seen him, Brother Sergei. He took a flying dive like a beautiful swan. <laughs> it is not funny. The abbot sees us. He's not happy because we are not working on the wall. There were enough of that. What about the books? Does he not value them? If there were no books, all knowledge would be lost for eternity. Uh, we cannot only build walls. The people must have books so that they may have hope. If we had a true master illuminator, we would do such splendid work. Let us pray that one will be delivered to us one day. Huh? Let us pray. Surely you don't need a master. Your work is the finest I've seen. Thank you, Brenda. But we are mere scribblers next to true masters. True masters? Such as? Such as? Brother Aidan of Iona. Aidan the wise. Aidan is indeed the great one. Who is Brother Aidan? A sage. The wisest one of them all. The perfect illuminator. Well, where is he then? He lives on a tiny island called Iona. There is an abbey on the island where he works on a magnificent book. The Book of Iona. In his new film, The Secret of Kells, our guest today, director Tom Moore, gives us a link between the ancient art of manuscript illumination and the modern art of animation. 
The Secret of Kells is the story of a young man whose life is forever changed by an extraordinary manuscript and his own sense of adventure. Tom Moore, welcome to Film School. Thanks very much for now, having me. How are you today? You're in a uh, you're working on a project at this very moment. Yeah, well, I'm just starting the storyboard uh, for my new film, uh, Song of the Sea. Uh-huh. So we're just getting going on that at the moment. Well, well, thanks for taking time out to talk to us. Uh, now you're, you're oh, working, no, I'm happy to. Yes, uh, you're working on storyboards now. I, I hear you. You didn't start out in animation. You you wanted to start a career in in more of of of, of comics or cartoons or drawings or or graphic novels. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, well, I suppose I was interested in animation as, as a kid, but um, I visited the Don Bluth studio in Dublin with a school friend, and uh, it just seemed so labor-intensive, and uh, it seemed like Don Bluth had the only really good job in there. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I decided I'd, I'd get into um, uh, comics. We thought comics was, was more interesting. I'm still really a comic book fan, but uh, I kind of wandered back into animation about 10 years ago, and... Uh, when I was in college in, in Ballyfermot, and, and we sort of set up a company uh, doing animation and, yeah. and uh, illustration and comic books. Well, now, given that, in the process of making a film, do you really enjoy the storyboard aspect of it uh, the most? Yeah, well, I think the storyboarding um, is like a, a trial run for directing the whole film. You know, you get to try things out. I guess it's a little bit like whenever live-action directors do workshops with actors and discover things that they, they mightn't have found otherwise or go on a recce looking for locations. I mean, the visual development and the storyboards are probably the, the most hands-on part for me. And then after that, you're just sort of managing a, an army, you know? Uh-huh. Now, now, I've heard that you, you had the story, or at least the concept for the, the Secret of Kells, in your head for a long time, maybe 10 years before it came to fruition. Um, how... How did that work? Did you have a, a, a story, or did you just want to incorporate Celtic art into animation, and, and it was elements like that, visual elements, that you were storing up over the years? Yeah, well, what, actually, what where it sort of come from was we were in college, and uh, there was a group of us actually in college who set up the company together at the start. Uh-huh. And we'd seen Mulan, and we'd seen The Thief and the Cobbler, and Eastern European animation. And Thief and the Cobbler is a beautiful film that never really got yes. finished by uh, Richard Williams in, in uh, London. And uh, we were very inspired by that as animation students. And we sort of said, there's all this great film from, uh, you know, America and Japan that we were really influenced by, but we wondered if Ireland could have its own sort of uh, unique take on animation. And we were looking at things like Celtic art and and design, and obviously the the kind of source of a lot of that was the Book of Kells. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of started to look at the history and legends around the Book of Kells itself and started to realize that there was probably a film in there somewhere. And I mean... We went through loads of different drafts, and I was a member of Young Irish Filmmakers, and they gave us some space to sort of start developing the project in 2000. And we did get fairly far at that stage of developing an idea that was had a lot of characters and locations that ended up in The Secret of Kells, but it, it wasn't exactly the same film. And it sort of went on the back burner then for a number of years until we met our partners in France and Belgium, and they just uh, produced The Triplets of Belleville. They got an Oscar nomination in yes. 2003, I think. And we met them at a cartoon movie in Berlin, and we showed them what we'd been developing all those years before. And they said that that was something they could revive, you know, revitalize and sort of make uh, their follow-up project with us. So we teamed up with them and started to kind of rewrite the project, and that's where The Secret of Cows came from. So it was sort of a, a long percolation of stuff over uh-huh. about six or seven years before it really kicked off, you know. Now, I'm just going to ask on The Secret of Ke- uh, I mean, uh, the uh, Triplets of Belleville, did they... Uh, 
have any, I wouldn't, I don't want to call them in, uh, requirements, but did they suggest things to you uh, that were part of that film to bring into uh, The Secret of Kells, and what were they? Well, I mean, the, the influence really, I mean, Didier Brunet himself, who's the French producer, is like an art history sort of um, student, you know, or, or that's what he studied in college, and that's his particular interest. So he was really interested to bring something like medieval art to life. But in terms of the and he kind of looked at our first draft of the script, and Brendan was more of a secondary character, and he sort of said that Brendan should be the focus and help us kind of refocus the story that way. Yeah. And he also wanted to make sure it was quite universal. It didn't seem too um, esoteric, you know, just for like an Irish audience or even just for an Irish Catholic audience, you know. Uh-huh. He wanted to sort of open it out and make sure it was more universal. But uh, just the studios that we worked with in Belgium that had worked on triplets, they'd done a great job of sort of on a fairly low budget on on uh, triplets, uh, integrating hand-drawn animation with computer animation fairly seamlessly. And that's what impressed me the most about triplets, that, you know, on such a low budget, they'd done something quite lush, yeah. and it still felt handmade. So that's sort of their big influence on the film, I suppose. Uh, the uh, the film is co-directed with Nora Twombi. Now, what what how did that work? The uh, How would, what would the respons- areas of responsibility work on that? Yeah, well, what we did was Nora and myself had been in college together, and we'd uh, set up, she was one of the founders of the company with me, and she'd made a couple of uh, short films uh, in the time that I was developing Kells, and I was working on graphic novels and stuff, you know. So I sort of looked at the way the um, Pixar films, I always had a, like a director and then a co-director, sort of like a pilot and co-pilot, and I asked Nora, would she come on with me um, onto Kells in that sense? And so I was fairly far along with the designs. I'd been working fairly closely with um Ross Stewart and uh, Barry Reynolds and some other, you know, designers that I knew that we'd been in college with. So I was fairly far along with the designs and the story. I'd worked with Fabrice on the script and all. And what I asked Nora to really come in and help me with was uh, basically the storyboards, recording the voices, supervising. She was a big hand in the animation and stuff like that, you know. So we sort of were um, a bit of a tag team for a while whenever we had studios all over the world working on it. I mean, we had studios in France, Belgium. Ireland, Hungary, and Brazil at one stage. So it was a big job to kind of coordinate between the two of us, you know. We're speaking with Tom Moore. The film is The Secret of Kells. Now, the, your style, your animation style, is very angular in the in the characters that, that you have in the film. Uh, is this, is was this, how did, what influenced you to, uh, or what was your inspiration, I should say, for the, the, the style that you, you draw? Well, what we had... Yeah, I mean, in terms of the character designs, I'd done a lot of work early on um, that we showed to Didier Brunet, the French producer, and um, he he liked the backgrounds because they'd already been quite influenced by the medieval art that we were looking at, but the characters, he felt, were still a little bit too rounded and cartoony. And he really encouraged us to look again at the actual medieval art that was inspiring us, like those icons and stained glass windows and tapestries and the manuscripts themselves. And we sort of tried to push it further. And then we realized that the, the European, Eastern European tradition, you know, kind of, of uh, more graphic animation was definitely something we could look at as inspiration. So I think we look towards that more than Western animation for the character design. Was it more difficult to animate them once you, you had them stylized more? Because I, I, the way they move is, is different than what I normally see in an animation. Uh, it's yeah, they're, they're very stylized, but I think the other thing, I suppose that we looked at a lot that we were inspired by was um, Gendy Tartakovsky in the States uh, had done uh, Samurai Jack uh-huh. and it was a TV series but it was very cinematic and he some really beautiful episodes that were actually inspired by different indigenous folk art as well 
And we sort of said, well, he took really stylized characters, but he also, you know, really stylized the movement to suit the stylized characters. So we realized we had to do something similar. And with medieval art, the only animation that had really been done that was inspired by that was kind of Monty Python's Holy Grail, kind of <laughs> Terry Gilliam kind of cut paper stuff, you know. And that was pretty goony looking, so we had to try and find something a little bit more tasty than that, you know. Well, we love Terry Gilliam, but you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, it's a different style, definitely. Now, now, earlier you said uh, that one of your producers wanted, I think it was your producer, said you wanted to open up the story uh, a little bit more and make it appeal to more than just, say, an Irish Catholic. Um, is, is that, is, did they also suggest that you make it more um, international in the flavor? Because some, there's, there's characters in the film that seem to come from, I, I don't know, Jamaica? Uh, there's, yeah, <laughs> no, not Jamaica. It might yeah. be from Africa. Oh, yeah, from Africa there? Yeah. No, that wasn't from the co-producers. That was something we, we had brought from the earlier incarnation of the project because one of the things we found most fascinating about that period in Irish history is that we had these uh, sort of refugees from all over the world coming to Ireland, uh, mm-hmm. taking refuge uh, from the, the raids that were going on in, our, in, uh, in mainland Europe. And then the Book of Kells itself has these influences from, you know, there's inks there from Afghanistan and people have traced the, the look of it, uh, the actual look of the calligraphy to Islamic art and um, to Moroccan carpets and stuff like that. So we said it would be really cool if we could take this influence that was in Ireland and represent it with each, like a monk from each one of the countries that kind of influenced the book accounts. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have that sort of international ragtag. And I thought it was kind of a fun reflection of the fact that I grew up in a fairly monocultural society here in Ireland, but now it's become very multicultural here. And it was nice to reflect that at one point in our history we had been multicultural before, you know, to some extent. Now, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I do not recall ever hearing about the Book of Kells. And yet, it, 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 and yet I, and as, I, as the film reveals, it's, a, it's, it's about the four Gospels. And it, it, is it one of the few surviving or surviving manuscripts? Is that... What? I think one of the things about the Book of Kells is that maybe more the fact than the fact that it's a transcription of the four Gospels that it represents this crossover period in Irish history where sort of the the pre-Christian um, pagan and Gaelic influences were somehow fused with all the stories of saints, you know, like all the, the sort of pagan gods and everything were being fused with the Christian saints that were arriving into Ireland, and in the artwork itself, is in the Book of Kells is kind of considered the high point of that kind of Celtic art, you know, the, 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 the insular style. And so, I don't know, our banknotes for a long time had designs from the Book of Cows, and you see people with Celtic tattoos, you know, or the dropkick Murphys there in Boston that my son listens to. <laughs> they all take these kind of Celtic designs that actually came from the Book of Cows, you know. So for us, I suppose, the Book of Cows, more than a, a Roman Catholic document, is kind of a, an Irish cultural document, you know, some kind of keystone of our, of our uh, kind of Celtic heritage, maybe. Yeah, and I just wanted to say that your representation of the pagan traditions is is very respectful, and it's just beautifully done. Well, the real yeah, question was, is: Are you a pagan? No, <laughs> I think like most I think like most uh, Irish people that we, we kind of grow up uh, happily unaware of how uh, uh-huh. uh, contradictory it seems that. Um, a lot of our saints are sort of half pagan god, half saints, you know. Yes. <laughs> and I did a couple of uh, graphic novels with um, a very fervent uh, Gaelgore writer, uh, an Irish-speaking writer here uh, about St. Patrick, and it was quite interesting period, you know. <laughs> and we realized he was some kind of superhero character. And, you know, St. Patrick had all these powers, just like a druid or something, you know. Yeah. Now, it, it, Ashling seems to represent, well, one faction of pagan 
pagan life. Yeah. How, how, how did you come up with her character, the, the fairy character in the book? When when was that introduced? That was actually really late in the development. That, uh-huh. She she arrived whenever we started to redevelop the project with our partners, and uh, there was a definite submarine movie vibe about it prior to that. <laughs> It was all men, you know, in, in an abbey, and, uh, and sort of had the forest. The forest beyond just seemed threatening, as opposed to both inviting and threatening, you know. Yeah. And so we sort of thought that um, there's this tradition of Ashland poems in Ireland, and uh, they're always uh, well, they're kind of a few hundred years old now. But they were these poems where um, Ireland would appear to the poet as a beautiful woman in a dream, you know. Uh-huh. And we just kind of thought we'd turn that on its head a little bit and make her a little girl, and then we sort of fused her with the idea of. Um, Tuan, who was like, there's this really ancient poem of Tuan, who was the last of the two of the Danon, who stayed above ground when all the rest of them went underground and became fairies. And he survived in the world of men by becoming like a, a stag and a salmon and a eagle and a wolf. So we kind of made her a changeling character like him and made her kind of like a, a two of the Danon, like the last of the fairies or something. So she kind of represented this whole fairy world that, you know, maybe existed, you know, before men came to Ireland. I've got to ask too. In in writing this, did you identify with Brendan? Was was he kind of your uh, your your autobiographical character in this at all? Did you did you? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. It started off, you know, in some ways that the brother Aiden character who wasn't always the sort of wise old druid character. He was uh, maybe who we were thinking of, you know, the sort of artist struggling against the odds to try and you know yeah. create something. But uh, obviously, Brendan then became sort of self-reflexive, not just for myself, but for a lot of us. A lot of the artists who worked on the film sort of identified with him, because I think as kids they might have come up against a, a guardian or a father figure who mightn't have been completely in agreement with them spending their time on something as frivolous as art, you know. So he sort of became that, that sort of character. And my son actually is called Brendan too, so I put a bit <laughs> of his into He was 10 when we started, and uh, he was 13 by the time we finished it. <laughs> He was, the, he was the target audience when he started, and he wasn't when he finished it. <laughs> so, has he seen it, and has he enjoyed it, or is he... Is yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he couldn't get away from it from three years before <laughs> that, you know. So he's seen it in every version that has existed in, you know. Uh-huh. Now, now, I have to ask you uh, about the... You're, you must have been, uh, as many people were surprised to, to see it uh, nominated for an Academy Award. Congratulations. Well, what, was, <laughs> what did that feel like? Uh, that was kind of insane. I mean, we, we certainly didn't expect it. We were a little bit down in the dumps about the chances in America. We'd been with a distributor who wasn't really doing much with it. And then we moved from them to G-Kids just a few days before the deadline for the, you know, to qualify for the Academy Awards. So they, their reason was we might as well put it in because just being in the race, like being in the eligible 20, would give it a bit of a profile before it was released. And I don't think any of us were really confident that it would get nominated, especially considering there were such gorgeous films like Mary and Max and Ponyo and Cloudy with Chanty Meatballs and they were all kind of cool in their own way, you know, and we kind of expected they had probably had a better chance of being nominated. So that day we weren't even watching it. Someone out in the office was watching it, you know, mm-hmm. and they started screaming and <laughs> we were like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> we were talking to one of our Belgian partners at the time, actually, and he goes, has someone seen a mouse out there? <laughs> 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 we were out to see what was, was going on. Mm-hmm. And then we were just, because it was just the middle of the day for us. I know it's five o'clock in the morning over there, but it was just the middle of the day for us, so yeah. Sure. Then phone started ringing, and you know, you had a good old time anyway. It's, it's great. Like I'm in a small town here in Ireland, and sure, like the Oscars have never reached this far before, so I'm kind of become some kind of weird minor celebrity in the town now that I'm yeah. not used to. Speak. <laughs> now, now, does that does that kind of uh, occurrence does that give you the profile you need to pursue your next project? Does that help you in that regard? 
I'm thinking, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'll tell you one of the main things it did was it sort of copper fasted me with the idea of doing another one because I wasn't really sure. If, I mean, I had Song of the Sea in development and we weren't sure how we'd get it going and we were thinking maybe we can raise the money again, you know, with the international co-production. And um, that was something we were starting, but it's a long process. So hopefully this will sort of fast track it and it'll make it possible that I just focus on my new film now and don't have to spend too much time on commercials or working on other projects, you know. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Tom Moore. The book, <laughs> the film is The Secret of Kells. Uh, there's one, I was reading about your inspirations, and, and uh, the, many of them are what you'd expect out of, you know, animation inspirations, but one that kind of caught my eye was Wes Anderson. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what, have you, uh, what have you used from him? How did Wes Anderson inspire you in, in your animation and your setting up of shots? I remember my, myself and... Um Ben, my son, Brendan, my son, and call him Ben for short. We were sitting about three St. Patrick's days ago, and uh, he used to sit beside me and copy whatever I was doing. Now he's a rebellious teenager; he doesn't do that. But I had a um, the Life Aquatic, and I had uh, right. the Royal Tenenbaums, and I was just freeze framing them and copying the, the symmetry, the way he was setting up the shots, mm-hmm. almost like picture books, you know. And I was just uh, making drawings of it all day on St. Patrick's Day, you know. And uh, Ben made the little co- copies as well, and. Uh, Basically, myself and uh, two of the background supervisors sort of had this unofficial uh, Wes Anderson fan club going here in Kilkenny. <laughs> there was about three of us in it, you know. <laughs> and, we, you know, we'd watch Bottle Rocket or, or whatever uh, uh-huh. Wes Anderson uh, film um, in the studio at late at night. And I, I think it was more just his stylized approach to setting up the scenes that influenced uh, Kells and probably continues to influence my work. Have you seen uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox? I loved it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't what I expected. I mean, um, I, I, it, was, it was much more a Wes Anderson movie than I expected. It was amazing how well it transferred to animation. And he kind of, uh, I think he suited the medium more than I expected, you know. And, and I, should, I shouldn't have been surprised because his stuff is very um, graphic and, and he has a certain illustrative quality to his, to his live-action films that made a perfect transition to animation. Yeah. Now, now how, how does that work, too? I, I mean... Uh, you're you're an adult, and so am I. How do, how do you get into the mood to create something that's going to, to to appeal not only to adults but to children too? What, where do you put your your head at that time when you're when you're telling a story or animating something? Is there a, a particular technique you have? There's a quote that I must Google because um, I keep thinking of it, and I can't remember who said it. I think it was Chuck Jones, but he said the challenge was to make stuff, you know, simple enough for adults but uh, intelligent enough for children. <laughs> and I think that's kind of that's kind of all you're kind of doing when you get into animation. You know, you're not you're probably still geeky enough to be a fan, but you know, you're not making uh, films just for other animation geeks. You're trying to make it for your target audience, which are you know probably under ten, and so you just have to make sure that you kind of respect them as an audience and don't. Uh, start, you know, um, pandering to them or kind of coochie-cooing and, and make something that you think at that age you would have enjoyed, you know? Yes, sir. There's two aspects of the uh, film that I do want to cover before we let you go, and one of them is the music. It just is a, a perfect fit. Uh, I, I, this is by uh, Bruno Coulet, is it? That's right, yeah. Uh, how, did he, uh, how did he work with you? Is this something that... It, he was in on it from the beginning, or did he see a, a, a completed version of the film before he went to work? No, the way the way it worked with Bruno was that he'd worked with Les Amateurs before, and we'd already been working, or hoping to work with Keela, who are an Irish traditional band here in Ireland. And um, basically, when we teamed up with Les Amateurs in France, 
um, they said Bruno might be might be interested and available, but he was working on Coraline at the time, the Leica film, you know. Yeah. And so he came and visited the studio, and he saw like early storyboards and some designs and stuff like that. And we said, well, there's three or four sequences here that we'd love to animate with music in place. So we sort of did a rough thing on the keyboard first, then write it like I mean, four years ago, right at the start. Yeah. And then um, it, what we those were the only sequ- those were the only pieces of animation of, of music that we actually had while we were animating, and the rest was just scratch, just stuff that we borrowed from his other films or from Keela's previous albums. And then in the end, in about four days in Sligo, it was magical, you know. He came over and worked with Keela. He wrote the score, as you say, based on the finished film, apart from those three sections. And uh, it was all it was amazing how it all came together in like a very short time compared yeah, right. to the animation taking three years, you know. Yes. Well, the, the animation is just incredible. I, I truly love just... I, I could turn the uh, the soundtrack off and, and just watch your animation because it, it's just inspiring to see some of the stuff that you put up on screen. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. The, the other aspect of this that I do want to cover is, is the, the color palette and the, what you've done there. Uh, it just seemed to be perfect for the mood that you were trying to create. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, what it was is myself and uh, Ross Stewart, the art director, had done um, loads of concepts since we were in college, you know, and Ross and I had been in college together. And uh, I um, started tr- trying to rein all those concepts in, and we put, we kind of, I went to a course by Bruce Locke, actually, in Dublin, and we said, let's put some rules on it. So basically, the the, the world, the everyday world is based on medieval art, and so it's full of all the colours that you find in those manuscripts, and it's full of mesmerising detail. But then when it's dangerous, you know, we pull the colours out, and especially when the Vikings attack, it becomes more like a woodblock than like a manuscript. It becomes just red, white, and black, and very um, severe shapes and very uh, bold colors and less lush, you know. So that was the overall approach we took to the colors. Yeah, I have to say, uh, just a, 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 a comment on the film, there are sequences in the film, and you just described the Viking sequence coming into the castle area. That's just beautifully done. Um, the the red, the use of red and black in that is just wonderful. It's also very effective. It's, it's frightening. Yeah, uh, it truly is frightening. Yeah. Um, but it, you just did a wonderful. And I also uh, kudos to your animators, the the people, the the artists who did this, because this is a film that is packed with detail in in every almost every frame of this film. In every scene, there is a lot of detail going on, and it's that attention to detail that really distinguishes this film. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and I mean, it is important to pay tribute to all the people that worked on it because there was a lot of talented people in several countries who helped uh, pull it all together, you know. Yeah. Uh, You said the film you're going to be working on next is uh, Song of the Sea? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, We're sort of doing the final draft of the script now, kind of, side by side with the storyboard so that the, the visuals kind of inform the story a little bit but um, it's based on the legends and stuff that we weren't able to bring into Kells but that I've been interested in you know like the Selkies it's about the last Selkie girl actually and it's set in modern Ireland and uh, that's it basically Alright well, we're very much looking forward to seeing that it's been wonderful talking with you today the film is The Secret of Kells Tom Moore thanks for being a part of Film School Thanks very much For more information about Film School, upcoming guests, and archived interviews, go to filmschoolradio.com.